Hello, this is Father Neil here and welcome to the April 9th episode of the podcast Catechism with Father Neil. Today we'll be looking at number 702 to 716 of the Catechism. 3. God's Spirit and Word in the Time of the Promises. 702. From the beginning until the fullness of time, the joint mission of the Father's Word and Spirit remains hidden, but it is at work. God's Spirit prepares us for the time of the Messiah. Neither is fully revealed, but both are already promised, to be watched for and welcomed at their manifestation. So for this reason, when the Church reads the Old Testament, she searches there for what the Spirit, who has spoken through the prophets, wants to tell us about Christ. By prophets, the faith of the Church here understands all whom the Holy Spirit inspired in living proclamation and in composition of the sacred books, both of the Old and New Testaments. Jewish tradition distinguishes from the law, the first five books are Pentateuch, then the prophets, our historical and prophetic books, and finally the writings, especially the wisdom literature, in particular the Psalms. In Creation 703, the Word of God and His breath are at the origin of the being and life of every creature. It belongs to the Holy Spirit to rule, sanctify and animate creation. For he is God, consubstantial with the Father and the Son. Power over life pertains to the Spirit. For being God, he preserves creation in the Father through the Son. 704. God fashioned man with his own hands, that is, the Son and the Holy Spirit and impressed his form on the flesh he had fashioned, in such a way that even what was visible might bear the divine form. The Spirit of the Promise Disfigured by sin and death, man remains in the image of God, in the image of the the Son, but deprived of the glory of God, of his likeness. The promise made to Abraham inaugurates the economy of salvation at the culmination of which the Son himself will assume that image and restore it in the Father's likeness by giving it again its glory, the Spirit who is the giver of life. 706. Against all human hope, God promises descendants to Abraham as the fruit of faith and of the power of the Holy Spirit. In Abraham's progeny, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The progeny, this progeny, will be Christ himself, in whom the outpouring of the Holy Spirit will gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. God commits himself by his own solemn oath to giving his beloved Son and the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. In Theophanies and the Law, 707. Theophanies, manifestations of God, light up the way of the promise from the patriarchs to Moses and from Joshua to the visions that inaugurated the missions of the prophets of the great prophets. Christian tradition has always recognized that God's word allowed himself to be seen and heard in these theophanies in which the cloud of the Holy Spirit both revealed him and concealed him in its shadow. 708. The divine pedagogy appears especially in the gifts of the law. God gave the law as a pedagogue to lead his people towards Christ. 
but the law's powerlessness to save man, deprived of the divine likeness, along with the growing awareness of sin that it imparts, enkindles a desire for the Holy Spirit. The lamentations of the Psalms bear witness to this. In the Kingdom and the Exile 709. The law, the sign of God's promise and covenant, ought to have governed the hearts and institutions of the people to whom Abraham's faith gave birth. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But after David, Israel gave in to the temptations of becoming a kingdom like the other nations. The kingdom, however, is the object of the promise made to David, would be the work of the Holy Spirit. It would belong to the poor according to the Spirit. 7.10 The forgetting of the law and the infidelity to the covenant end in death. It is the exile, apparently the failure of the promises, which is in fact the mysterious fidelity of the Saviour God and the beginning of a promised restoration. But according to the Spirit, the people of God had to suffer this purification. In God's plan, the exile already stands in the shadow of the cross and the remnant of the poor and returns from the exile is one of the most transparent prefigurations of the church. Expectations of the Messiah and his Spirit 7.11 Behold, I am doing a new thing. Two, prophes- two prophetic lines were to develop, one leading to the expectation of the Messiah, the other pointing to the announcement of a new spirit. They converge in the small remnant, the people of the poor, who await in hope the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem. We have seen earlier how Jesus fulfills the, the prophecies concerning himself. We limit ourselves here to those in which the relationship of the Messiah and his spirit appears more clearly. 7.12 The characteristics of the awaited Messiah begin to appear in the book of the Emmanuel. Isaiah said this when he saw his glory, speaking of Christ. Especially in the first two verses of Isaiah chapter 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. The Messiah's characteristics are revealed above all in the servant songs. These songs proclaim the message of Jesus' passion and show how he will pour out the Holy Spirit to give life to the many, not as an outsider, but by embracing our form as slave. Taking our death upon himself, he can communicate his own spirit to uh, uh, his own spirit of life. Paragraph 714. This is why Christ inaugurates the proclamation of the good news by making his own the following passage from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the afflicted, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim a year of the Lord's favour. 7.15 The prophetic texts 
that directly concern the sending of the Holy Spirit are oracles by which God speaks to the hearts of his people in the language of the promise with the accents of love and fidelity. St. Peter will proclaim their fulfilment on the morning of Pentecost. According to these promises, at the end time, the Lord's Spirit will renew the hearts of men, engraving a new law in them. He will gather and reconcile the scattered and divided peoples. He will transform the first creation, and God will dwell there with men in peace. 7.16 The poor of the people of the poor, those who, humble and meek, rely solely on God's mysterious plans, who await justice not of men, but of the Messiah, are in the end the greatest achievement of the great achievement of the Holy Spirit's hidden mission during the time time of the promises that prepare for Christ's coming. It is this quality of heart, purified and enlightened by the Spirit, which is expressed in the Psalms. In these poor, the Spirit is making ready a people prepared for the Lord. Okay, very good. So another fairly long section. Again, like yesterday, it is very much a section that is dealing with um, the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit as we see the Holy Spirit in Scripture. The Scripture is the place that we discover the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit not so much explicitly, but in the different images that are there. The different texts that are there speaking about the Holy Spirit, speaking about how the Holy Spirit works in the Church works in the world and has this special mission of creating a people creating a people that can receive Christ the Son of God this remnant this little flock that is created because this is what the church is about the church isn't really about huge numbers it's not about a massive assembly it's about a small a little flock a small group of people who have met Jesus Christ and the Spirit does the preparation and the introduction. And this is what we are called to, to come to Christ. In a sense, in this time, it makes especially more sense. This idea of the church is not being triumphant, not being massive, that we see that it's enough for a little virus to come and people can't meet in church for weeks and weeks. So it's not about the buildings. It's not about gathering together. It's about a remnant of Israel, a small group that can really be prepared to welcome Christ. And we're invited to join this group. We're invited to be transformed by the Spirit. We're invited to become a, a temple of the Holy Spirit, to receive the Spirit, to meet Christ. And this um, this beautiful image that was there at the very beginning of what we read in number 705, uh, it's one of the things I, I like a lot, this explanation of image and likeness and how Christ comes to bring back the likeness. This likeness of God can become present in us again. The image of God stays there always. The image of God is the source of our dignity. It can never be erased. But the likeness of God depends on how we live our lives. And how we live our lives, again, doesn't depend on us. It depends on what God gives us and whether we receive what he gives us, that he has given everything. That today we celebrate the day of Holy Thursday, where Christ really empties himself, 
where at the Last Supper he gives everything to his disciples. He gives them everything he has, which will be fulfilled tomorrow in uh, Good Friday. But in a sense, in the Last Supper, he gives them everything. And we're invited to receive everything from Christ, to receive from him, to be incorporated into the church by him, and to find eternal life in him. So very well. So tomorrow we'll continue. And tomorrow we'll look at 7.17 to 7.30. God bless.